Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, the words that we've just sung are true. We are prone to wander away from you. And yet we know that you're good and we know that you love us and we understand what you've done on our behalf. And so we just pray, Lord, would you take our hearts? We want to give our hearts over to you. We want to surrender our lives to you. We want to live lives that are surrendered to your lordship. We know that's best. So, Lord, as we open your word this morning, would you teach us? Lord, as we look into your word, would you help us to understand what you're really like, that you might change us this morning through your word? Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here with us this morning. As we conclude the series that we've been in for the last seven weeks, Marvelous God, knowing our Father through the Psalms. And I will admit I'm a little bit sad that this series is ending, uh, which is funny because I was a little bit scared that this series was starting because teaching through the Psalms is not an easy thing to do and I was nervous coming into it, but I have just been excited to see what God has taught me and I hope that he's taught you something as we've walked through this series together. Our prayer was... And our admonition to you was that as we entered this series, that this might help us to see God differently, that we might see God a little bit more accurately, that we might think about God differently as we approach him, and that we might worship God differently because we see him more for who he is. That was what we prayed and what we hoped is that it would change the way we worship Because what we've been asking through this series is, what is God really like? We use all these big words to describe God, but what does that really mean for someone who's walking in relationship with God? How does it change me, or how does it change the way I live, or how does it change the way I see my circumstances to know that these things are true about God? So, for example, how do I respond differently because I know that God is holy? How does that change anything for me other than to have that knowledge? Well, I would see God differently than I did before because now I know that God is completely unlike anyone else I've ever met before. He's unlike anyone or anything or any other relationship that I've ever had, so I see my relationship to God maybe a little bit differently than I did before. That would be our hope and our prayer for you. How does it change to know that God is truly a sovereign God. So I might see my circumstances differently, knowing that everything that happens, God has either allowed to happen or he has caused to happen for some reason or another. And even though that's a very difficult truth for us to wrestle with, I see my circumstances and the circumstances of life differently with that knowledge. God knows everything about me. So I view the cross differently, knowing that God sees every ugly part of me. All of the worst parts are dragged out into the light before him, and still he chooses to send his son to die in my place because he loves me in spite of who I am. That changes me to know that. God is eternal, and I'm not. I'm really not. So it 
changes how I view my time. I view my time differently because now I see my life as the whole purpose behind it is to live a life to glorify God. Live a life to bring God glory with heaven in view until my time here is done and I'm with him. So I view my time differently. God is is powerful. So I view the world around me differently knowing that God is the powerful creator of everything that I see and the powerful provider of everything that I have. So I see him maybe a little differently than I saw him before. God is personal. So the way I view him is different because I now understand that God didn't tell me, he didn't promise that the journey would always be pleasant, but he promised that he would always be present. And there's a huge difference and there's power in knowing that. It changes the way that I live. It changes the way that I see him. God is loving changes the way I make choices because now I see that I have a choice to live in ignorance of what God is truly like or I have the ability to live in God's loving presence in his, under his love and protection, his powerful protection. Holy God, powerful God, all-knowing God loves me, loves me with a steadfast love that changes me. And I've watched over these seven weeks as we have learned these things together and looked into God's word to learn these things together as watched as we have worshiped differently. And I don't know if you can tell, but I can tell. I listen as you worship more loudly over the last seven weeks. I listen as we approach worship differently as Joe has helped us to be more thoughtful as we approach even singing why we sing and what we sing, that we would think about it and really offer it up as praise to God. And I have to ask, is it possible that our view of God has become bigger over these weeks? Is it possible that we're worshiping God differently? We're seeing him more accurately, that maybe we are learning to live lives that are completely surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ as a disciple of God truly should. I hope that's true. I feel like that's happening in our church, and I get excited about that. That's what we want. Because the more accurately we see God for who he is, the more truly we understand our salvation, the more accurate our view of the cross. The bigger our view of God, the bigger our view of the cross, and the more accurate our worship is. And so we come this morning in the last week of this series, and we are going to proclaim the goodness of God God is good. He is a good God. Amen? Okay, amen, if you don't know, means I agree, I affirm that. We really only do that in church. But God is good. Amen? Amen. Do we believe that? Do I believe that no matter what my circumstance is? Do I know that God is good or do I believe that God is good? If I live in Paris this morning, is God good? He is. He's still good. How is that possible? We can say we know that God is good, but to believe that God is good is something different. I read a story recently about a man who went to work for his father-in-law, and it started out really well. He actually started to have a lot of success there. It turns out his best friend worked there too because his best friend was his father and his brother-in-law. So the boss's son, his best friend. 
things were going very well. He started to become very successful, and the company kind of rose up through the ranks. Eventually, he became so good at his job, he was actually noticeably better at the job than his father-in-law was, and that created some tension. That created some problems. Eventually, it became so bad, his father-in-law actually tried to kill him. On three separate occasions, his father-in-law tried to kill him. And you think, after a while, you should stop coming to work. And he did. He stopped coming to work. So his father-in-law did the next logical thing, and he just hired a group of guys to go to his house and have him killed, his own son-in-law. This is a true story, by the way. As the men are coming to his house... His wife sees them and helps him get out the window so he can leave and get away. He lost his job, obviously, so he has no money. He can't come home because it's not safe, so he has no home, so he's living on the street. He has nowhere to go. Within a few months, his father-in-law encourages his wife to divorce him because he's not around, and she marries someone else. So in a very short period of time, he's lost his job, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his home, he's lost his best friend, he's lost his wife. He's nearly lost his life on four separate occasions. Now, he believes in God. Would he say that God is good? He would. How do we know that he would say that God is good? Well, because he wrote the psalm that we're going to look at this morning. Right after all of that happened, he wrote the psalm that we're going to read this morning. And I think that might change the way that we read it. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you open with me to Psalm 34? If you're looking for the Psalms, if you just open to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit it. I got the exact page. That's the second time that's happened. That's cool. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we brought some for you. If you look around on the seats, you can probably find one. One of ours waiting for you, you're welcome to use that. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Or you can just cheat off of a neighbor, or you can just listen. All of those are totally appropriate. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one of ours, just take it home with you. That's our gift to you this morning. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. We're going to be in Psalm 34. If you're using our Bible, that's page 463. Now, you're going to see this notation in your Bible at the beginning of the psalm. A lot of psalms have this. Usually we ignore it. But in this case, it gives us a little bit of context. Psalm 34, the title of the psalm is, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then under that it says, in my Bible at least, of David, so a psalm of David written by him, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, the story that I kind of paraphrased for you this morning is David's story, but it's not even the whole thing. It's actually worse than it sounds, if you can believe that. So let me just give you the context, and let me tell you what what it's saying here at the beginning, this notation. David has been anointed as the next king of Israel. He is going to be king. He's married to the king's daughter. His best friend is the king's son. Things are going very well. He is a national celebrity. Everybody knows about David. Everybody knows what he's done. He's this mighty warrior. He's got this bright future. Everything looks great. But Saul, who is the current king, becomes jealous of David's fame and his success, and so he tries to kill him. On three separate occasions, he tries to kill him. So David stops coming around because David's not an idiot. 
And Saul has tried a number of times, and this isn't ending, so he goes away. So Saul gets some of his men together, and he sends them to David's house so that they can kill him there. Michael, David's wife, sees them coming and helps David jump out the window and run away. And then in this sort of cartoonish scene, she creates a fake David out of pillows and goat's hair in the bed and says that he's sick. I'm not making that up. That is in the Bible. That actually happens. You can read it this week if you want. It's a crazy story to give him a head start. So David is now homeless. He's not safe in his hometown. He actually has to leave the country. But David is a man of great fame. So when he comes into another country, the king there is kind of a little concerned about having someone of David's stature around. And so what does David do? David pretends that he's insane. He starts drooling all over himself and scratching at the door when he's brought before Abimelech. And Abimelech says, why'd you bring this crazy guy here? Like, I don't have enough crazy people. Get him out of here. That's actually what he says. And he sends him away. So David has lost his status. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his job, his best friend, his wife, his country, and now his dignity. And this is in an honor-shame culture. I mean, it would be bad enough for us to do that, but in a culture like this, everything is about honor or shame. David has shamed himself before this king. Not only that, the king, Saul, is actively pursuing him to kill him, and he's living in a cave. And then he writes this. And listen to the words of Psalm 34. We're just going to read the whole thing first, and then we'll walk through it together. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many good days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, is that amazing? And we can come to this psalm and we can read it and just say, that's really nice. Yeah, God, you're pretty good. 
And all of a sudden, we understand the context in which this is written, and we say, how can he say this? How can he say this? And look at the first thing that he says in the psalm. Look at these first few verses with me. He says, I will constantly praise God because of his goodness. It will be my consistent posture before the Lord to praise him. Look, verses 1 through 3, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He says, I will praise God constantly. I will praise him all the time, which means no matter what is going on around me, my posture before the Lord will be one of worship. That is what's going to be coming out of my mouth is praise for my God. And then he says, God gives the humble man something to brag about. Well, who is more humble than David? At this point of his life, mighty David, who will be king and will go on to do great things in the name of the Lord. Mighty David, at his lowest point, he says, God gives me something to brag about. I will brag about him. God gives the the humble something to be proud of. I will be proud of God. In fact, come and brag about God with me, won't you? Let's brag about God together. Come and praise God with me. He gives this invitation to praise in this dark moment of his life. He said, I'm going to praise God. Hey, come praise God with me. Isn't he good? God is so good. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Think about what he's just been through. And then think about what he's saying now. Verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them and delivers them. David says, God is good and here's my story. Let me tell you how good God is. Here's what he did for me. He saved me. He delivered me. And I think of David's story and I'm like, did he? Really? I mean, after all we just... Did he actually save him from anything? You're living in a cave, David. What are you talking about? Look at what he says. Verse 4, I sought God and he, what? Answered. He delivered me. He rescued me. What is David saying? I should be dead. (laughs) And God has preserved me. By all accounts, I should be dead, and God has preserved me for something. Praise God. Verse 5. Look at that verse. He says, basically, even though I've been hunted like a criminal, and I've been forced to act like a moron in front of this other king, I've been forced to shame myself, essentially. I have nothing to be ashamed of. How can he say that? Who does he boast in? Not himself. He boasts in his God. My God is good. I have nothing to be ashamed of because when I look to God, what happens? I am changed. My whole countenance changes. Those who look to God are radiant. It changes me when I look at him. My whole person changes as I look to God. He says, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me. Verse 4 and verse 6, he says exactly the same thing. I cried out, 
and God heard me. I cried out, and God delivered me. What did David do? Cried. Just cried. And what did God do? He acted. God was near, and he heard, and he did something. God is the hero of David's story, and that's what he says essentially in verse 7. God is the protector of those who fear him. The angel of the Lord encamps around me. He's my protector. He's my deliverer. God is the hero. What is David's testimony? What is his story? God is good. I should be dead, and God has preserved me. For some reason, God has seen fit to preserve me. It gets better, but before we move on, I just think there's something important for us to take away from this. What is David doing in this moment where we would probably be wallowing? What is David doing? He's remembering, and he is worshiping. He is giving credit where it is due. He is worshiping God. He's attributing worth to God, and he's remembering what God has done for him. We have some friends who do a lot of teaching about marriage. They've taught us a lot. They do a lot of counseling, and one of the things that they taught us early on, when you're really struggling, it's good to remember better times. If you're in a marriage and you're just having a really difficult time of it, pull out an old scrapbook or pull out your wedding album and remember a great day together or remember a great vacation together or remember good things that you have done together because there's something really powerful about remembrance. There's something really powerful about recalling those other things that kind of puts the current despair and angst into context. There's something powerful about that and that's what David is doing here. Say, God, I know that you are good. I'm going to claim it because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen you be good, and I'll claim it now in my lowest point. Do you ever do that? Do you ever just remember God's goodness in your own life? Do you ever maybe write it down to remember it later? Can I just encourage you to do that? I'm not a journaler. That's not something that I do, but somebody encouraged me a few years ago to start doing it as I started on something that I knew was going to be hard. And I started just writing some things down so that I might go back and read it and say, oh, yeah, oh, right, I remember you answered that. Oh, that's right, you did. Oh, you did say that. It's good. It is good to remember God's goodness. So I'd encourage you to start writing those things down and putting them somewhere where you would remember, as David does this morning. David says, I'm going to constantly praise God. That is going to be my continual posture before him, is to praise him. And then he says, you can experience this for yourself. You can experience the goodness of God. Verse 8, this is a great verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He says, you can know the goodness of God. Try it. See for yourself that he's good and experience it like I have experienced it. He says, God's favor is on those who fear him. God's favor is on those who take their refuge in him. And then he gives us this picture of lions. It's one of the things I love about the psalm is sometimes you're like, why lions? But he says, even the lions want, even the young lions want from time to time. But those who take refuge in the Lord lack No good thing. It is this picture of power. 
Even the young and powerful lions go without, but those who rest in the power of God go without nothing that they need. David says, I will rest in the power of God. He is my protector. He is my provider. And I know I won't go without because he knows what I need. And David keeps saying, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. That's the key. So he says, let me tell you what I mean. Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. And then listen to what he says over these next few verses. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. What does he say? Verse 1, what did he say was going to be in his mouth all the time? Praise. I will constantly praise the Lord. And then verse 13, what does he say is going to be in his mouth? He says, I will keep myself from speaking things that are untrue. Praise will be in my mouth. I will keep myself from speaking things that are untrue. Does that mean like in general, like don't tell lies? Is that what the fear of God looks like? Yes. In general, yes. But I think in the context of the psalm, it also means about God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to hold my tongue from speaking anything that's untrue about him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to speak of his goodness. And I'm not going to say anything about God that isn't true which is why my mouth is going to be full of praise. Verse 14, he says, I turn from evil and I do good. I turn from wrong and I do right. So I keep my tongue from speaking evil and then I turn from evil and I do what's right. And then what does he say? He says, I seek peace. I turn from evil and I actively seek out peace. What is he saying? I am actively not looking to rebel or to dissent I'm looking for a right relationship with God. So what does it mean when I turn from what is wrong to what is right? When I turn from rebellion and I seek a right relationship with God, what is that called? We've been talking about it a lot recently. Repentance, right? That's what repentance looks like when I turn from a wrong view of God to a right view of God, when I turn from what is wrong to what is right. He says, that's what I'm going to do. That's what my life is going to look like. That's what it looks like to fear God. I will praise you, God, and I will seek a right relationship with you. And that also means I will not say things about you, God, that are untrue, and I will not live in rebellion to you. That's what it looks like to fear God. Now, can I just interrupt for a minute? Interrupt the sermon entirely because I want to tell you about this um, sandwich place that I know of. (laughs) I know this seems weird, but I I have to tell you about this. It's getting close to lunch, right? We can talk about sandwiches for a minute. Okay, I drive up the coast a lot. About once a month, I drive up the coast. And if you've ever been to Santa Barbara, there's this sandwich place in Santa Barbara called Norton's. Bryce, I know you're tracking with this because we like the sandwiches. Okay. There's a sandwich place in Santa Barbara called Norton's, and they have a bacon Philly cheesesteak sandwich that might be the best thing I have ever tasted. It is, yeah, I know, I know. Let me just paint a picture for you, because I know you're starting to get there with me, okay? Let me paint a picture. When you don't, we've got time. Don't worry about it. We've got time. All right. When you walk in, it smells amazing. 
is a tiny little place. It's always crowded because there's tons of people there because the food is amazing. You walk in, you, get, you give your order, and you sit at the counter, and you watch them make the sandwich right in front of you. And it's a hot sandwich, so they make it there on the flat top. So you watch them cook the meat there, and you see them get the bread, and the bread is really fresh. They put the meat on, and it's super hot, so the cheese just melts like right on top of it with the bacon and the onions and all the other. I know, I'm going, don't worry, we've got time for this. Okay. <laughs> and then they have lettuce that's like cool and crisp lettuce, so it's a good contrast to the meat that's really hot with the cheese, and it's shredded lettuce, and I don't know why, that's way better to me. And, they put, and then they serve the whole thing with French fries, but not like soggy fries. Really good fries, like perfect French fries, and they give it to you. It is the most incredible sandwich I've ever eaten. It might be the best thing I've ever eaten. Okay, I could tell you about that sandwich all day. I could keep going. I know what you're thinking. You already have. Thank you. I could just keep going on and on about this sandwich, but you're not going to get it any more than if you just go there and you try it for yourself. Don't you agree? You have to try this sandwich. That's your assignment. I don't know if you can do it today. You have to try this sandwich. Otherwise, you're not going to get it, and I'm going to have this experience all to myself. Now, what have I just done? What have I just... I've given a testimony, right? I just gave a testimony about a sandwich, which sounds ridiculous, until you look at the language of the psalm and what has David just done. He is giving a testimony about God's goodness, and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what is he saying? I can tell you about God's goodness all day long, but unless you experience it for yourself, you will not get it. So let me teach you what it looks like to fear the Lord. Let me teach you what it looks like to surrender your life to the Lord in every circumstance, so that praise only comes out of my mouth, and I live a life that's fully surrendered to him, and then you'll get it, because unless you try it, and unless you do it, you won't get it. Do you see? That's what David's saying. His testimony, way more powerful than my testimony about the sandwich, but they're saying the same thing. Unless you try it, you won't get it. So here's how to live so that you can experience the goodness of God. That's what David is saying. Sorry, that was a long time to talk about a sandwich. But here's where he's taking us in the psalm. He says, I'm going to constantly praise God. That's my active and continual posture before him. And then he says, you can experience this for yourself. Here's how you do it. Live in fear of God. Surrender your life to him. And you will see that God is good because he is your deliverer as well. And then he says at the end, because remember, he's in pain. He says, God will hold me together. That's what the end of the psalm is about. Look with me. Verse 17. He says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. We've heard this again and again and again in this psalm. I cry for help and God shows up. I cry for help. God not only hears me, but he delivers me. That's what David keeps saying over and over again. When those who fear God cry for help, he hears them and he delivers them. Now think about this in the context of David's life and what has just happened. This is why he can say that God is good because in his lowest moment, God showed up and David is still alive and God still has something for him to do. And he says, God, you rescued me. You are good. You are my deliverer. You are the hero 
of my story, God. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Look at the language that he's using there. He says, God, you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. That is strong language. This is not a psalm for people who are dealing with like trivial issues. That is not what David is saying. It's not who he's writing to. That's not where he is. He is talking to people for whom life has beaten them to a bloody pulp and they are lying on the floor saying, God, what happened? Where are you? My heart is broken. My spirit is crushed, David says. And God says, when, that's, when David says that, when that's true of me, when my heart breaks before you, God, when my spirit is crushed before you, you're there. You are there with me, God. You are so good. You are so good to me. Verse 19 and 20. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Oh, that's cheery. <laughs> David says, I'm heartbroken. I'm being crushed. And then he says, and this is going to be happening a lot because many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Being in a relationship with God does not mean things get easier. In fact, a lot of times when I look at Scripture, I think, I think it means it gets harder. I think especially in the world that we're living in, it's hard to live a life that's surrendered to Jesus Christ. David says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. doesn't mean I won't have trials or hardship. It just means that God will sustain me through them. You're going to have a lot of hardship, David says, but God will sustain you. And when life presses in and tries to crush you, God will hold me together. And then in stark contrast, look at the next verse. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. David says God will hold the righteous together through affliction and through hardship. When the hard times come for those who trust in Christ, God will preserve you. But apart from God, those same hardships and those same afflictions will crush you. They are devastating. You are undone by them. Those same things. God will sustain me through them, but for those apart from God, who will sustain them? They will be destroyed and crushed by those things. Only when we're found in God can we hold it together because, here's the secret, God holds us together. God is the one holding us together in difficulty. Verse 22 He says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Do you see what he said? Affliction will slay the wicked. It will be their undoing. And then it gets even worse because those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Those apart from God not only do not have God to walk through them through the hardships of life, but at the end of the story, it's even worse because they find themselves separated from God. But what does he say? Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God redeems those who fears him. 
he buys them back. And none of them will be condemned. You can't read this psalm without hearing the gospel. (laughs) You can't read this without hearing that. David's words in this psalm are prophetic because by the time we get to the end of the story, at the end of the Bible, we see what God has done. That God sends Jesus to redeem his people, to buy them back, to pay the price of their rebellion from him. God is our deliverer. He is our deliverer, not just from the afflictions and the hardship of this life. He is our ultimate deliverer of life itself that's true about who he is. God is a good God. He is a good God. What a marvelous God who would look at us and even though he knows everything about us as we've already learned, that he would say, I will send my son to die in your place so that you can be with me, with me a holy God, totally different from you, completely unlike you, but I want you here because I love you and I want you to be in my presence. Almighty, powerful God, creator, pursues us for relationship. And he says, I'm good and you can be with me and you can know me and you can experience me for yourself. David says, taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. So what about us this morning? Can we say that God is good? In spite of the circumstances of our life, whatever they are, and maybe this morning, as Joe already said, maybe you come in on a high this morning, things are going great. Maybe you come in this morning and you are crushed. David has such an accurate view of God that he can claim God's goodness in the midst of horrendous affliction in his life. He says, God, you're good. You're my hero. You're the hero of my story, God. No matter what happens, I will only praise you and I will live a life surrendered to you. So are you here this morning and you're brokenhearted? (laughs) Is your spirit being crushed this morning as you walk in? Because here's my concern is that as the church, just kind of in general, I think a lot of times what we communicate to people is like, you know what, leave your problems at the door and come in and worship God. Leave your problems at the door because this is not about you. So leave all your baggage and your issues out there and come in and worship God because this is about him. And maybe if your afflictions or your baggage is light or they're kind of insignificant, maybe, maybe that's a good word for you to hear. This is not about us. This is about God. We are here to worship a good God together. So if you've got some minor things, let them go and come in and praise God. But that's not the case for all of you. That may not be the case for most of you. So I think maybe the more appropriate thing for you to hear from us is like bring all that baggage in and worship God. Bring all of that heartache and hardship in and praise God because he is good. He is a good God. And his goodness does not change dependent on my circumstances. He is good. He just is. Come in and worship God and sing his praises with us and give those burdens to him. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to invite our worship team up and they're going to sing to us this morning as we have an opportunity to just respond in worship to the word of God. But here's what I would say to you. As you listen to these words and then as you're invited to praise God this morning, some of you need some help with this this morning because some of you are dealing with some heavy things that you've brought in this morning. We would love to pray with you. 
We'd love to pray for you. That's what that connection card is for that I pointed out. Share your prayer requests with us. We would love to pray with you or just come up afterward and talk to us. Can we pray with you? Because some of us need to learn how to fear the Lord, (laughs) to be honest. Some of us need to only praise him and live a life pursuing a right relationship with him instead of rebelling against him and saying things about him that are not true. We need to repent of a heart that says those untrue things about God and run toward him instead of from him. And if you need help with that this morning, we want to help. Here's the last thing that I would say. There are some of you in the room this morning that are trying to do this all on your own. You're going through the hardship of life, the struggles of life by yourself. You don't even have God to walk with you through it. You have no one to hold you together. And I would just say, what are you doing? It's going to kill you. And after that, it gets worse because you stand under the judgment of God, the righteous judgment of a holy God. Give your life to him. God says, I am a good God. Surrender yourself to me and let us do this together. Would you do that? We would love to talk to you about that. Put that on your card and come and talk to us about it afterward. Come and magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together.